Dr. Matthew Castro here at Central Church in Kyreville, Tennessee. I'm the adult ministries pastor. You are listening to the Church in Politics Equip class. It meets on Wednesday night at 6.15 p.m. in room 235. This is our introduction lesson in Church and Politics. Okay, here we go. Um, so, uh, Church and Politics, and I, I will say this on the front end. I don't know what your expectations are when you hear those things like politics. That's a pretty big buzzword. Um, I'll, I'll say this on the front end. This is, class is not going to be about who's going to run for president or who I think is going to win the, gonna, if the Republicans going to take back the Senate. I, that really isn't the point of this class. Um, if you would like to talk about that kind of after class, I would love to talk to you about that kind of stuff. Um, I just don't, I just don't, I wanted to just kind of help you with your expectations. We're not going to be talking a lot of that kind of, that kind of thing. We're going to talk more about where does, how does those overlap of the church and government? How does that overlap? And how is we, should, should we even at all as Christians be involved in politics? Is that something we should even spend our time doing or giving money towards? Um, and, um, that's really kind of the major points. And as you see kind of in the back, page four, kind of the schedule, we are going to, uh, if you're kind of confused a little bit, so we're going to take most of this class, we're going to talk about political politics in regards to, in the Bible, politics of the new kingdom. So now in, in regards to Christ's salvation and uh, politics of the kingdom of God. The last one is going to be really helpful from an application standpoint. How can I love church members with different politics. Um, if you make it that far, I will make a promise to you that there's a book I will give you that will go further into that. Um, if you don't already know, there are probably people that you go to church with who have a different political view than you do. Does that mean that they lose their salvation? Hopefully you say no. <laughs> Um, and so how do you do that? How do you love one another and be unified in Christ while at the same time disagreeing on immigration or um, what we should be doing in the Middle East or gun control or lack of gun control, whatever that view is that you hold really dear? Uh, how do you go about um, oh, welfare or social security, all these different political issues that if you heard someone go, you voted for who? Do you know what they believe about this and that? And you therefore disunify themselves, disunify yourself from them because of their view on that. I wouldn't just discourage you not to do that. But we'll talk about that more when we get into to that. You'll see on the 25th of October, we're going to be talking about some of those kind of, we're going to talk about, about biblical manhood and womanhood and some of the, in the home, in the church, in the world, gender confusion, and then some LGBTQ stuff. That will lead to a lot of other kind of questions about, you know, uh, identity politics, especially, um, which is a big issue right now. So we will talk about that kind of stuff and, and, and the, with those, because that is a really big issue that the church is, is going to be impacted by, and it is being impacted by, right? Um, so hopefully that's helpful. The last Sunday we'll, I'm sorry, the last Wednesday we'll be together is December the 13th. Are there any questions about the schedule uh, that you'd like to ask before we do anything else? Is that good? Uh, I would encourage you to bring a Bible because uh, you will use it. You know, we're going to talk about church and politics. Um, I, uh, we're going to be talking about, and hopefully at the end of this, you have a good understanding of how you should think about politics in regards from the Bible. Okay. 
Um, any questions that I can answer in regards to any of that? Okay. Um, John Andrew and Tony Mangini, if you want to raise your hand, they're going to be helping me with this as well. So um, they may be teaching a lesson, but they definitely will be get, they'll get these notes before you do, and they'll be able to kind of participate in the conversation as well. So, um, so they'll be helping as, as well. Um, and uh, so this will be, this, hopefully this will be a lot of fun. And um, if you get, if you, um, uh, hopefully you'll find this interesting and enriching. Uh, I did, I will try to recommend some reading to you. Uh, uh, one book that I am recommending is uh, The Good of Politics. This is a helpful little book about how to think through this issue of church and politics. Um, Biblical, Historical, and Contemporary Introduction, um, The Good of Politics. There are a lot of other good books out there that you can read or, or buy if you'd like. I will, I will suggest this. If you do like politics or political issues and you're wondering, is there a magazine that I can read? Uh, I will suggest one to you. Uh, World Magazine. Have you heard of this magazine? I got a little. Okay, I guess. Yeah. This is a very good um, Christian-based um, um, journalism, and they talk a lot about political issues. They have an article in this about the immigration issue going on at the border. Uh, they talk about the military. They talk about a lot of different issues. They also provide some, um, um, if you're worried about mu- like movies and stuff, they do some cultural uh, articles as well. But I would encourage you, if, you're, if you like to read magazines, you like to get subscriptions to stuff, this is one that I would recommend. Um, but um, just as a way to start, we, there's, politics are happening all around us. Um, I get The Economist uh, magazine I get. And, I mean, on the front cover, they're talking about Biden and China's strategy in regards to um, shipping and things like this, right? Uh, the stuff that we get, the stuff that we buy online, this is all commerce and politics and government and leaders um, uh, organizing and negotiating trade deals and taxes and all these different things. But then you have military, right, of protecting commerce so that commerce can happen, so that uh, business can happen, so people can sell goods and make money and, and, and these type of things. Politics are happening all around us, right? So how do we negotiate these things? How do we understand what's going on? How, what, what opinions should we have as, as Christians when, in regards to the government and politics? Um, so let me just read you the main idea of the class, and then we'll kind of talk about some wrong views in my mind of church and politics. Uh, can somebody read that main idea of the class? Right there in the front. Church and state are separate institutions with different jurisdictions. Neither should confuse itself for the other. One bears the sword, while the other bears the keys of the kingdom. Yet the work of each is set on a landscape where politics and religion are fully coterminous, like two circle lenses placed perfectly on top of one another. The public square is nothing more or less than a battleground of gods, and the church is a political institution inhabited by citizens of heaven they are a distinctly political message. Jesus is king. What are your thoughts on that? Do you know that the church is actually a political institution? Never thought of it that way. You are late. This look at that phrase, Jesus is king. A king is a what? It's a political office. It's a ruler. Uh Jesus declaring Jesus as king and Lord and not declaring any other human institution as Lord or king 
is saying that we worship a different a different Lord than you do. Uh, especially if you think about the first the first century, right? Um, the emperor is not the Lord. Christ is the Lord. What happened to those who claimed that Jesus is Lord and did not worship the the, the emperor? Some of them were killed. They were, yeah, they were martyred. They were killed, right? Because they did not fall in line with the the political uh, view that they were supposed to have. Um, But also, there is a difference between the government and the church. Someone mentioned Israel. That is a different, that Israel was unique in, this, in the sense that it was a government and it was the people of God. The church is not Israel, right? The church is not a nation. It's multinational, right? We have, there's churches all over the world, right? They don't, so the, the people of God, the, the, the church is multinational. It doesn't make up a government, right? There is no church that is also a government, Correct. So you have two institutions. And so we want you to help you understand that the church is a political institution. So what is politics? What's up? Uh, There are some chairs right there, and there's some more. So the church is an institution. The government is an institution. The church is political, and the government is political. But the Bible initiates that these two have different spheres of influence. And we're going to talk about that throughout this class. Um, so let me give you five wrong views of the church and politics. If you disagree with these five views, let's hear it. <laughs> let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Um, the first one is the government should compel religion. The government should compel religion. Why is that, do you think, a... Wrong view of the church and politics. Because it goes against our constitution. Okay, she said, yeah, Vicky said it goes against our constitution. Isn't that what she said? Or mm-hmm. What did you say? You can't compel the condition of the heart. Yes, right. You can't compel condition of the heart. You can't force faith, right? Uh, we know examples in history of governments, especially in Europe, who forced people to uphold the approved religion, right? One example of this is the 30-year war in Germany. What happened? German people were fighting over what was the official religion of the nation. People died because they didn't compel, because they refused to adopt Catholicism or Lutheranism, right? There are other examples of other wars of religion in Europe where many people died because the government was forcing and compelling people to adopt one certain religion. Uh, you mentioned, um, you said it wasn't in our Constitution. Where, where in our Constitution does it say? Freedom of a re- religion is one of our rights. Freedom of and religion, yeah. So you cannot compel somebody to, to believe the way you do, <laughs> like she said. Okay, yeah. Um, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution, by the way. Do you want to know where it is? Or if it was first mentioned? Jefferson's yes. And any Baptists in the room know? Who, who was writing that to? Jefferson. No. Jefferson was writing to whom? No. There it is. You grow Baptist or did you just know this? Did you just know this? There you go. So, um, but he was writing to the Baptists. Why? Because they were concerned that in Connecticut that there would be a state religion and it would be con- a, a congregationalist. 
And the Baptists wanted, wanted assurance from the president that, or from Jefferson that there would be a separation, that there wouldn't be an establishment of religion in the United States. <coughs> this is what Jefferson wrote. He says, Be it therefore enacted by the General Assembly that no man shall be compelled to frequent or support any religious worship, place, or ministry whatsoever, nor shall it be enforced, restrained, molested, or burdened in his body or goods, nor shall otherwise suffer on account of his religious opinions or belief, but that all men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matter of religion, and that the same shall in no wise diminish, enlarge, or affect their civil capacities. Basically, you should be able to get a job and own property and vote, it doesn't, even if you're not adopting the majority religion. Well, that's a good point, right? Why did, why did they go there in the first place? A lot of them. For, because that's what the British were doing. They were compelling people to adopt a certain view, a certain religion. Um, we know from Matthew 22. Can somebody read Matthew 22, verse 20 through 21? And pardon me, I, I'm using my phone. You all know this, this passage probably pretty well. Can somebody read that for me? Is that 22 what? 20, uh, 21? Yeah, 22, 20 through 21. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus is affirming that there are things that are God's and the things that are Caesar's, the government, right? Pay taxes to Caesar and pay Taxes to the Lord, right? There are two different spheres. Um, and so compelling people to hold to a certain view when there's two different spheres, the government should never compel anyone to adopt a certain religion. Um, genuine faith can't be uh, forced. Uh, what, are, what would be the implications? Uh, and by the way, this is common in the Muslim world, right? You're compelled to be Muslim in certain countries, especially like Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, what are the implications, do you think, of the United States compelled everyone to go to church? <laughs> a lot of people would be at church, I guess. <laughs> a lot of people would leave the country. The, okay. Like the a lot of rebellion. A lot of rebellion, yeah. What other implications? Watering down the church? Yes. Oh. It would. It would water down the church. They would water down the church. There would be people who don't have faith. That's, you know, we tend to think that, that if there was an, an, a, a mechanism that forced people to come here, that would be good. But you have many people who don't have faith. You can't compel people to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and unfortunately, we see throughout history that that has happened, and that is not a good thing, right? It's not a good thing when it's like the sword or baptism. And that did happen in parts of Europe, right? It would probably force the real church to go underground. Yeah, because that's what, you know, like Germany was an example, right? They had a Nazi church, and thankful for, like, Bonhoeffer and others who were in the, in the, the opposition, right? Um, underground. It also would be, a, it would be a bad statement about the church, and, you know. Oh, yeah. The love of God compels us, you know. To, it just, so people were like, no, you know, I, I don't want to be part of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. We don't want to force people. <laughs> we want to persuade them. We want to we want to proclaim the gospel of of, of salvation, but not compel through force, right? Um, so we're good with that one. Any, any any compel religion people in here? It's okay. We're all brothers and sisters, right? Okay, that's good. We're all Americans, you see. Yeah. Um, what about government should exclude religion? That's another wrong view of the church and politics. The government should exclude religion. According to this view, religious beliefs should never be mentioned in governmental functions or on governmental property and should never play a role in the decision-making process in politics or government. Uh, this is a view that is promoted by the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, American United for Separation of Church and State, and much of the rest of secular society today. According to this view, religious beliefs should be kept at home and kept quiet. There should be no influence from religious groups in the political process. Anyone have any examples that they... I mean, obviously, Tony, you have plenty. You may share one or two. <laughs> you had, oh, you're like, oh, no, I don't know any. <laughs> He's going through his. So, can you think of any examples of where the government um, basically through this idea of excluding religion? So, like examples where the government or the courts basically said that there was there was religion involved in decision making. Okay, so no prayer, right? Religion. Okay. No creationist studies. No creationist studies, right? That's 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 religion. Right, that's being involved in the in a curriculum decision from a school board. There is. Go ahead. Do you have one? Anyone else have any, any other examples? Like any? Would they make them take down the Ten Commandments, like in the courtrooms? Yes, that's right. Because that's that's that that's a symbol of religion, right? Of a religion, right? Um, I'm, I'm probably the oldest one in here. And I, I have no idea. We used to be able to say verses in general assembly. Okay. Stand up and say Bible verses. Right. I mean, that is just taboo now. Yeah, yeah. Prayer in the morning before you started class? Yeah. Yep. I took Bible in high school. Okay. There's other examples other than in the school. The ARC, um, the ARC encounter in Kentucky, uh-huh. the local government tried to exclude them from certain tax privileges okay. because they were a tourist attraction, which would have entitled them to certain... Um, not tax benefits as in state money going to them, but as in their exclusion. Right. So the tax money that other places had to pay, they shouldn't have. And the local government tried to say, well, no, you're a religious organization. You can't take part in this. And, of course, there was a lawsuit, and thankfully the ARC won because we're we're still a tourist attraction that generates revenue for the state, regardless of the fact that we are a religious-based tourist attraction. Yeah. Um, the, the school one is, there's a, let me read a few examples. There is um, a valedictorian in Las Vegas, Nevada. She had to remove all references to Christ from her speech. Oh and when she didn't, they unplugged the microphone. And the reason was is because it was a public school and she was, she was sharing about religion. And so you have a public governmental school, a state school, and that ha- should not have any religion. That's, that was the view of the Las Vegas, Nevada uh, principle. But unfortunately, it's a twisted view because she, as a valedictorian, is making her speech about what brought her to that point. Yeah. And and if she had been a, a Muslim or somebody else, she may have had the same type of speech. But you, I doubt they would have shut it off. Well, based off this view, 
they should, right? All, all religions are excluded, right? Not just Christianity, but all religions. Whether they do it in practice or not. Right. It's purely secular. Um, within, a, within a government... Within a, yeah, well, that's, that's one of the points of why this is a wrong view. It, 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 you can't have freedom of speech, right? Um, and freedom of religion. One of the other issues with this is that the, the, the First Amendment does not say... What is, what is the actual, is the establishment clause? Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment. A valedictorian giving a speech about Christ does not establish a religion at all. That's, the, nor, nor if they, um, if um, uh, any other, even if, so like, even if the president or the U.S. government decided to talk about Christianity from, from the House of Representatives, right, in a, in a speech or in a debate. They're not establishing a religion, right? It's freedom of religion, not the, and, and so they, we, the government can't establish a religion as the governmental religion that compels that. If the United States government, this is the religion we establish. It's Christianity or Islam or Mormonism or these type of things. Well, there seems to be an idea that Everyone has freedom of religion except politicians in that type right. of idea. Like, if you serve in the government, you personally can't have a religion because if you do, you represent the government, and therefore your individual religion represents the government, and that's not that's not reality, but that's what a lot of people argue. Is right. You as a politician can't have a personal religion, and it cannot show up in right. your life or your job or publicly right. because then it gets labeled as the right. government institutional Religion. Thankfully, there's no law that says that they can't, but they, the view is they shouldn't, right? right? They shouldn't use religion in any way as government officials. Right? It's ironic when they're representing the people, not the government. So I, we're going to talk a little bit different. Like, what's the difference between the nation and a government? And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, there is a difference between establishing religion and the influence of religion. When a, when the, when a politician talks about their religion, it, it, is, it is an influence in their governing and their, in their communication, but it's not establishing a religion. A, those are two totally different things. But there is a view among, in this idea is that if you even speak of anything that seems religious, you are breaking the, the vow of the separation of church and state. Um, here's the interesting thing. The Declaration of Independence and the Civil Rights Movement was influenced by the Bible. Therefore, it was influenced by religion, but what were they not doing? They were not establishing a religion. Uh, when the Declaration of Independence was written, they're, they're not stating to King George, by the way, King George, we would like our independence so we can establish a religion. Right? Now, they were influenced by the Bible to speak of their, 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 that they had the right of freedom um, that they were not getting from the, the British government. Same with uh, Martin Luther King. A lot of his speeches, a lot of his influence and inspiration and motivation was based off the Bible, off Scripture. Was he establishing religion? But is he influenced by it? Very much so. And he was actually arguing that others should be influenced by these passages of scripture uh, in, the, in the regards to that, they should give rights and freedoms to the minorities that were, didn't have those, those rights and freedoms. Yes. Something that 
is crawling around in my head about this excluding religion from government thing is it doesn't seem realistic no. from the standpoint of so much of what the government decides is what our people as a nation decide is right or wrong and then the enforcement of that but so much of what you decide you believe is right or wrong it, there's not a it's not a straight you know black and white line that gray area of okay well the, the reasons you're as an atheist espousing you believe murder is wrong or, or rape is wrong or whatever a lot of those stray into the same territory it as is. religion like sure. you're saying it's morally wrong but by what standard that mm-hmm. feels like a very it feels very unrealistic to say we're going to have a government without any involvement of religion but then how do you decide what you as an, as a government are going to approve of as right or wrong and by what standard That's yeah but you know, most of the most of the laws, a lot of the laws came from the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt not kill." Yeah, you know, we have all these statutes against murder. Right. Mm-hmm. But but that was. Yeah. But again, that's the influence, right? And and here the big point, and we'll get into this like later on in the in the in the, in the fall. But you cannot separate religion and its influence on laws, which. Laws are based off morality, right? You're legislating how people should act, right? The reason why, you know, you don't murder and why it's a law, because it's, it's immoral, right? It's a, you're, you're hurting another human. And that's wrong. In every society, it should be wrong. And there are those laws. And so, yeah, like, where does it cross the line into religional influence? Well, we would argue that there's, right, we're creating the image of God, right? So there's an influence there that from our, in our core, um, um, so I, I'm not going to read this quote, but when you, if you look at the Declaration of Independence, there's a lot of language about God for the reason why we should have our independence from Great Britain. Matt, yes. We have to realize, too, that there is a government that excludes all religions. They call it communism. Uh-huh. And not only do they exclude uh, Christ, Christianity, it's Muslim, Hindu, Anything else, they want you to worship the state. Right. So, right. And, and that seems to be the uh, direction they want this country to head. Toward. Yeah, they, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Within that group of people like the ACLU and others who are really forcing for a purely secular government. Um, there are a few passages that I put in there of of examples of scripture where we have John the Baptist in Luke three nineteen, and then we also have Daniel influencing the government. Um, John the Baptist was that rally soldier. He was. He criticized the government, didn't he? Uh, and told them how they how how he should act. Um, uh, number three is all government is evil and demonic. All use of governmental, government power is deeply infected by evil, demonic forces. The realm of government power is the realm of Satan and its forces, and therefore all government use of power over someone is worldly and not the way of life that Jesus taught. It does. Uh, let, me, let me point you to a passage, Luke chapter 4. When you get to it, just read it for me, someone loud. Luke 4, 6 through 8. This is the temptation of Christ 
Um, and, you know, remember like one of the temptations, Satan took him to um, the top of, of the mountain and said, all these kingdoms will be yours. Can somebody read that? And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Uh, so the view here is that, um, see, Satan is in control of all the government. See, he's trying to give it to Jesus. Um, the big point here is that Satan is tempting Christ, not that all the governments are demonic. That's not the right interpretation of this passage. But some have used this passage to say all governments are demonic. Um, and all governmental authority is from Satan. Um, you know, you obey, you didn't, God taught to obey your leadership, mm-hmm. you know, that they bear the sword. They do. Yeah, that's to be a major verse that we talk God about. Mm-hmm. Authority. Yeah, that's true. But he has, he has given, the government does have a role. Um, and uh, we see in First Peter chapter 2, 13 and 14, that we are called to honor the emperor. We're called to honor the government. Pray for them. It would be odd if, if they were demonic and all, were, and all from Satan, if God is calling us to also pray for them, right? So it doesn't seem like that computes. It's not saying that governments are perfect and pure and holy in every way, but it's also not saying that they're evil in every way as well. Um, yep. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Right. And when you pray for your, your leadership, you can pray that God would turn their hearts. You don't have to say, God bless them in the evil that they're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the government's not Hold on, hold on a second, Dewey. Go ahead. Dr. Allman mentioned this in our Monday Night Old Testament class. Um, Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the... Fish, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And he pointed out that that was literally one of the original intentions in creation itself was that we would rule. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, sounds, in a certain aspect, government. Right. And we're going to talk about Genesis 9 in a little bit uh, as well. Yes, sorry, Dewey. Well, as I was saying, uh, government is not all evil, it's not all demonic. But we have to remember what uh, President Reagan said. Mm-hmm. The scariest <laughs> thing that you can hear is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. I'm here to help, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's... Every time the government comes to help you, there's a requirement that you have to give back to the government. Right, yep. Yep, it's true. Um, let's, I'm going to quickly do these next two. Do evangelism, not politics. Uh, we should preach the gospel, and that is the only way Christians can hope to change people's hearts and change our society. I call this the do evangelism, not politics view. It claims that the church is only called to preach the gospel, not to preach about politics. So the question is, do, 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 does Christian political activism do any spiritual good? Yeah, sure. Give me examples. Well, with certain things that we're able to throw versus what? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, if we just said, no, you know, you deep doing what you do, we're going to go out there and keep preaching. Well, then you don't have the court case being decided you know, yeah, last and, year. And, I mean, God calls us to be ambassadors. So the thing is, like, 
how do you know that you're being straightforward in an appropriate way about your faith is not going to bend somebody away from, you know, an evil form of government? Yeah, the... Our minds are going to go to that evil until we're renewed. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and if we're not renewed, we're just going to keep on sending. Now, the gospel does renew hearts. But we also should be working towards the transformation of our society. Governments help with that, restraining evil. Uh, can someone uh, pull up Genesis chapter 9? Uh, Genesis 9. You see here, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, that is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require reckoning. For every beast, I will require it. And for man, from his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. We see that as actually uh, the foundation of the, of the purpose of, a, of government, like kind of at its foundation, which is to protect people from people. <laughs> so like she said, if you, you don't consider this your authority, then you have no backing for that being made a law. But the, we go back, yeah, but that's kind of the, yeah, the influence that, that religion does have on creating laws, right? Right there. Um. So we do see that there, that government has a purpose. Uh, yes, we proclaim, proclaim the gospel, but um, and you have to even think resources. Should we just not invest any resources whatsoever, personally at all, in, in governmental change? Uh, we should continue to give money to rights of life groups. and, and these, We should give money to ca- candidates as they run for office. These are things that we should do and should be involved in. And it's okay if you think it's a waste of money. Whatever someone else does with their money in regards and how they are, are, are contributing or investing in societal change, that's their prerogative, and you shouldn't judge them for doing so, right? Um, just because you prefer, if you choose, like, no, I should only give my money to evangelism projects, I think that's a waste of money. That's a waste of money. Well, you know what? You can keep your opinion to yourself, right? I gave money to a political candidate when they ran for office in 2016, that was something that we did. That was my prerogative. And I thought it was something that I should do and wanted to do. That's something I did, right? That's what I decided to do. If you choose not to do that or think that's a wrong thing to do, that's okay, right? It's okay. Um, we have definitely uh, passages like Romans 14, 10 through 13 on how we should um, love our brother and sister even though if we disagree on certain things like that, right? Uh, the last one is do politics, not evangelism. This is probably a minority view amongst Christians, primarily held by mainland Protestant-type churches, social gospel movements, uh, who think evangelism is uh, proselytizing, it's it's basically uh, forcing your religion on someone else. You should only invest in um, social justice-type projects and stuff, right? Um, And we do think... I mean, the gospel is the only thing that's going to change people's hearts, right? And that will ultimately only lead to long-term societal change. So we do believe that the gospel is significant in that, but 
It's not like we're saying kind of a do evangelism only and, and don't do any politics. Are there any questions about those five? Any, any disagreements? Any compliment? I mean, compliments. Uh, any any uh, comments that you would like to make? Yeah. Think about how it happened in the Roman Empire. What, the, what happened in the Roman Empire, you know that they used to like have the gladiator games and stuff and people would die. You know what happened? They stopped that. They outlawed it. Why? Because of Christian influence. Right. Yeah. And also, um, when it came to children, right, and how children were left to die and the changes that happened in the Roman Empire were influenced by Christians, so these are all good things. Right? These are all positive things. Uh, kids going to school, uh, the Bible being um, um, uh, in, in all language, in all for, in the people's language, so they can read it. It's not just in the high, uh, in the in the in the, uh, um, the aristocratic society and, and the church society, but that the people can actually read. These are all good things that help education, universities. All these things were influenced by Christians. Um, healthcare, healthcare. Yep, that's actually, that's right. Um, the main things that are being fought over now are moral issues, mm-hmm. and we have to speak out. Yeah, and, and this immorality mm-hmm. being thrown at us. Mm-hmm. Any questions? Any comments? Anything? On the government should exclude religion. We talked about there being a line. Well, that line was a lot further when the founding fathers were there. Yep. They thought we should include it, but it's gotten. Further and further back, it has. No, no religion. It has being included as time has gone on. Yep, and, and the thing is, you you can't remove God from the founding documents. Of the United States, um, the U.S. still uh, has an opening prayer before Congress begins their new session. They have a chaplain. <laughs> They have all these influences by religion, right? And it's not establishing any religion in any way. But how come they don't take down the Ten Commandments in courtrooms? Who was the guy in Alabama a few years back? He was a judge and he had to step down. Boy, more. Boy, more. more. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I mean, that wasn't establishing. Again, here's, here's, here, again, this is where this is going to get really interesting as we talk through this rest of the semester we remember we and we want to live in a country that has freedom of religion right i think we don't want to be we you you don't as we've already established you don't want to live in a in a you don't want to have a government that compels religion right (laughs) then you get into saudi arabia you get into these middle eastern countries and the problem with like india is that christians are the minority what happens to the minority they get persecuted and the government allows it (laughs) You don't want that, do you? You don't want the government to go, well, if they were Muslim or Hindu like we were, this wouldn't be happening. Why don't you just, you know, submit? That's the problem when you don't have freedom of religion. And so you can make an argument that the Ten Commandments on the court, if it's a Judo-Christian, like, religious, you know, representation, that it could be argued that it should be removed, Right? But the problem is, is what we're talking about is, is that if you even mention God or mention religion or say my view on gay marriage is based off the Bible, oh, you're canceled. You can't have that view. That is not freedom of religion. That is, is excluding religion and, um, and its influence.
Somebody said something about democracy. He said, we don't want a damnable democracy. If we're going to have a democracy, let's stay with the king. Because democracies are, are to set up to have class distinction and for people to make money off of it. There's, there are some articles out there that, that uh, compare what a republic and what a democracy is. Yeah. All of our congressmen and senators do not know what a republic is. Yeah, and again, I'll say this on the front end: the Bible does not articulate or argue for a republic, republican government, a government of uh, a republic form of government or a, democrat, a democratic form of government. It actually argues for a, a monarchy, <laughs> doesn't it? There's one king. Um, the good thing about uh, democracy is it is it's freedoms in the people, especially if it establishes like. Laws that say that you can have, you can worship what you decide to worship, right? We're not going to compel you to worship Christ. We're not going to compel you to worship Allah, right? You have the freedom to worship what you want, right? You can assemble together and worship what you desire to worship. That is, I think, and we're going to argue in this class, is a biblical concept, especially after Israel and the New Covenant. Um, but I don't want to necessarily, I don't believe the Bible states necessarily that the United States form of government is the biblical form of government. I just don't think you can make that argument. And I think that's what, what's his name when he was here, was trying to make that argument as well, right? What, what was his name? Okay, no, that doesn't sound right. That was, you remember who I'm talking about? He was here like last summer. That was his name. Was it McKinley? It was it's what's right. It's what's his name. That's how I think it was Jeff Kinley. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I thought it was it McKinley. I don't remember it being McKinley. Kinley, Jeff Kinley. Oh, you have his notes right there. Fantastic. What did you say? What was his point? Basically, that the United States is not in the Bible. Well, it says the USA is not in Revelation. Okay. And we're not because we're not going to be a country by this. There you go. <laughs> uh, let me mention a few. I want to mention. I only got a few more. Only got a few more minutes, but I want to mention something important. A part of this con. This this, this discussion is the church. Again, this is the church and politics. It's all right, we're not just going to talk about government and politics. We're going to talk about the church a lot. Uh, two concepts. If you read Table Talk a few months ago, this concepts were introduced to you: the church militant and the church triumphant. You remember this? I don't know if you read it. The church militant, that seems like a really weird term to put with the church. Um, the church is engaged in a spiritual conflict. And there is hostility. There is hatred. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the source of this hostility towards God's people, Satan's hostility towards God's people. Uh, we even see the issue is what happens when you resist temptation. Cain is an example of one who resisted temptation, right? Uh, I'm sorry, he failed to resist temptation, right? You can see that conflict. Uh, she, he, Cain, was, a, was the son of Eve, right? 
she thought he was going to be the seed of promise. And instead, he was cast out. Um, he failed. So you can see that conflict. There was a victim of the conflict, right? Um, and, and so there's a, a desire to conquer God's people by Satan. Um, and we see Jesus as an invasion, right? He invades this world. Um, and you see really the victory of God and his kingdom and his people with Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Victory over sin, victory over Satan. Uh, Christ was perfect in his submission to the Father, right? The reason why Jesus is our rightful and good king is because he succeeded in resisting temptation. See, he's a great leader for the church because he is, he's in the conflict and he has won us victory in this conflict, right? Um, there's an establishment of the kingdom of God with power. Uh, somebody read Luke 10, 18 through 19. I think Matt, Pastor Matt read this this past Sunday. Luke 10, 18 through 19. What's up? 18 through 19. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. You see that, that, that a kingdom power, Jesus is speaking, and he's, and he's giving that authority over to the church. Um. But what, when we think about the church, and we already know from Philippians 2 and 9-11 that Christ Jesus, our King and Lord, has been exalted above every name, right? Um, what is the thing that the church does with its authority is it does not conquer lands, does it? Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus tell us as the church to gather an army and gather nuclear weapons or whatever, whatever you want to say and go conquer the Middle East, does it? If you have found that passage somewhere that none of us else have found it, please share it with me. I, I just don't see it anywhere in the New Testament. So what are we, what, is, what are we called to do? Yes, that's the only thing we got. <laughs> we got the word of God. Um, yes. We are to make disciples. That's right. We are, we are called to make disciples. It says the kingdom of God suffered violence and the violence taken by force. That's in Luke 16. And he goes on, Jack Hayford gives a real rundown on that. Yeah. But we are not given the sword. Right? right. We are not given the tanks. The word of God is the sword. Exactly. Um, we are called to share. We are called to, to go to the nations. We are called to... Uh, conquer lands with the gospel, not with F twenty twos. What? With love, right? Can I ask you a question? If y'all know about Islam, what's Islam's means of authority? The Quran. Yeah, but what else do they do? Muhammad mostly Islam, by definition, is a it's trying to conquer lands. They've come to Memphis to take over because they've, I've been having conversations with a grand imam where they come for breakfast at the McDonald's on Houston Levy. And uh, they, they're coming to take over Memphis. I mean, that's what they told me. In what way? There's over 25,000. Well, they're going to run for office. Okay. They're going to run for office. Mm-hmm. 
that's just what they told what the, the grand mom is named Yasser. Mm -hmm. He and I have had about five conversations. And he came to America to study religions, and he actually went to Loyola Marymount to, at the Catholic University. And I went up and talked to him, and there was one elder who was a Methodist, of course he's rejected religion, but this imam told me his favorite uh, chapter in the New Testament is Luke, I mean Acts, the book of Acts. So we had a discussion Sunday morning about the book of Acts. But they, they have come to me, if y'all have not seen the mosque out there off of Houston Levy, you ought to see it. But again, let's make sure we remember, right. and we're going to talk about this, I'm going to keep saying it though, in America there's a freedom of religion, and we want, not once, but it's, they have the right. That's right. Right? Because again, if you, flipped the, if you flipped it and we were in Egypt, Christians don't have the right. Right. <laughs> they don't have the right to build a church. But not only that, God, you know, who is perfect, gives us all choice. Yeah. And if God gives them choice, or he gives us choice, who are we to say somebody else can't have that choice? Right, right. And our, if it goes against, it breaks our heart. Right, it does break our heart, and our, our means is, is persuading through the gospel. There's a book that somebody gave me. The title of it is Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Uh-huh. It is really an eye-opener. Yep, yep. So the church is militant. We are in a conflict. We have the gospel, we have the word of God, that is our, that is our weapon of defense in our sword, right, is the word of God. We are to call sinners to repentance and faith and usher them into submission to Christ the King, not through force, but through proclamation and love of neighbor. The second thing is the church is triumphant. So this is really helpful in politics because we get, sometimes we are so focused on if this doesn't happen this way, the church is going to die. That is not a biblical view. The church is triumphant, okay? Um, and so we can have confidence that our, Christ, our Lord has conquered sin and death and Satan and the world, and we are in Christ, therefore we have victory in Christ, even in the midst of persecution. Just because persecution arises does not mean the church is not triumphant. It's important to know, okay? The church has grown so much in China because of persecution. That's right. That's right. So China's trying to prevent the church from growing, and yet it still grows because right. it's triumphant. Like you, it's to, already won. We've already won. <laughs> I went to an underground church that meets out in the country. Mm -hmm. They had over 25,000 people there. So, And you've got to think, too, that we... We on this earth, you know, look at it, we, like we said, we default to our understanding, that naturalistic understanding, you know, we said that. And so, you know, we think, oh, what we define as bad, well, this is, you know, persecution's happening, that's bad, the church is going to die. It's going to die, that's yeah. God's view. Right. Um, let's, we know at the end of the story, especially in Revelation, we know with how the story ends, Right. So we can have confidence in the triumphal, uh, I, the triumphal um, nature of the church that we, um, we have. But we will deal with suffering because, again, we are in a spiritual conflict. 
Just because we're triumphant does not mean we're not in a conflict as well, okay? That's why the militant triumphant, okay? Those are helpful terms, I think, as we think about church and politics. Let me ask kind of three basic questions. I think I put them in here for you. And just kind of, we have a little bit more time. And so I want to just kind of ask these questions and uh, can you provide a little conversation? Number one is, what is the relation between politics and its cultural context, including religion and morality? Um, Basically, what is, like, what is, what is America? Do you define America only by its government, or is America more than that? No, it's the people that... It is the government, it's a part of it, but... But it's the people and their cultures and all the aspects of it that kind of blend together to make that Freedom... People it's, come here for the freedom. It's mm-hmm. a mixing pot. It is a mixing pot. It is a mixing pot. But it, it's it's also the government, but, but a lot of those people that started over here brought that into the government. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. The people created the government. The government didn't create the people. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so, um, and the thing about America is that it, I think this is where this gets a little, a little, it gets controversial. Is America a Christian nation? No. It was founded as a Christian nation. Y'all are good. Y'all are, y'all are going to be a lot of fun. It was, because to be honest, that was the majority culture of the time. Right. It was. The reason why there's a lot of frustration is because that's not the current majority culture, is it? A lot has changed since 1776, right? Um, So the definition, so the government is not Christian, nor is it to be expected that it bases all its laws off the Bible, right? If it was a Christian nation, we would have some issues, wouldn't it? Like, you're supposed to be a Christian nation, and you're making laws against the Bible, like, that's the kind of the confusion with England. England calls itself a Christian nation, but it's not really, right? Uh, I think their prime minister, uh, Cameron, like a few years ago, did you hear him say this? He said in Britain, England was a Christian nation. A lot of Christians say they're Christians, too. That's true. That's a really good point, yeah. Read Matthew 7. That's right. Just because you're, you're queen, um, may she rest in peace, just because you're queen, thinks, even though you held her up as the head of the church, right? Doesn't mean, just because you have a church of England, doesn't mean the whole nation is Christian, nor does it mean that your government's Christian. Well, King Charles had multiple religions represented for the first time ever. Well, yeah, the, yes, the defender of faith instead of the faith. And if you caught that during his crowning. Um, and so you have to ask the question, how should America govern? How should it govern? That's a question that we have to kind of think through as, as Christians who are, act, who are involved in politics. Um, what is government for and how should its responsibilities be properly exercised? Should it only protect society against sin and punish evildoers? There's an old saying, he who is governed less is governed best. Yes, but where's the, where, what's the definition of less? Not getting interfered. Uh, you know, up until... I'm probably going to agree with you. I'm just asking the questions. <laughs> up, up, up until 1913, we didn't pay any taxes in this country, except that you paid it 
the state paid your taxes up until the 16th Amendment was passed. That became an individual tax at that time. So they can take anything that they want to of yours right now. Yeah, how do we get back to that, though? I Revolution. You know, this is being recorded. <laughs> uh, the FBI now is going to get this. Um, <laughs> like, dude's like, I've been on that rodeo before. Uh, they got nothing on me. <laughs> Dude, he's like, he's like riding out of town on a horse with a gun. Choo, 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 choo. <laughs> uh, that's pretty funny. Um, what, if anything, does Christianity have to say about political life and the ordering of society? And what, if any, political responsibilities does the Christian faith urge upon those who profess to follow Jesus Christ? Well, he does say to respect the human governments. You know? mm -hmm. But again, you know, if that goes against your, the a higher authority who is God. But, but he does, Jesus does give us that advice. Mm -hmm. um, Christianity is a way of life, right? And so we are called to, to follow the teachings, all of the teachings of Christ, right? We are called to love our enemies. We are called uh, to uh, put others before ourselves. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves, and that doesn't include all the people that we agree with on everything, right? We are to pray for our leaders. We are to pray for our leaders. This is stuff that the Bible commands us to do. And I'm not saying like Ecclesiastes where it's really confusing what it means. I'm going to like the New Testament. That's pretty clear, like what it says. There's not very much nuance. Yeah. Using that logic, we're not trying to get stone through anything. <laughs> Where are those rocks? <laughs> yeah. If you look at that lens, like, are we a Christian nation? Were we a Christian nation since we were based on rebellion and disobedience to start with? <laughs> That's awesome. I would love to get into that. Maybe we can get into it soon because I think that's a great question. That is an awesome question. <laughs> Starting our own country and forming We'll talk about acts. Not even before that, like they came to America, so they got kicked out of every other place. Well, they left because they were being forced to follow um, the, the the Book of Common Prayer, and they were forced to do their church governing exactly the way that the monarch said, right? And they were told they had to comply. There are Puritans who said, well, I disagree with the way that you do church because it's against the New Testament. They had a, and they had a good, a, good, a good argument against it, what they were being pushed to. And so they're like, we got to get out of here because we're going to get killed, you know? But, um, yes. But your question is awesome, and I hope we get to it. Yeah. Mm. I, hope I, I hope I say this right. Um, Dr. Oldford and Pastor Greg in our um, biblical interpretation class last semester mentioned that some people get confused or distracted in the New Testament by, you know, the disciples, the apostles, their main mission, their number one goal was not eliminate slavery or eliminate poverty or any of these, you know, social crusades. Their number one mission was to spread the gospel and discipleship. And then those important things naturally started changing 
in the Christian world as Christianity spread, as more people became Christians, that because of their change of faith and their change of heart and soul status, they started having that positive influence. So they, Paul didn't go around preaching, you need to abolish slavery. He preached the gospel and Christianity, and then those people naturally started to have an effect on those big social issues. And that mm-hmm. comes to my mind when you talk about you know, Christianity and our political life is, you know, what's what's that famous quote? Um, the, all it takes for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Yeah, I think but that's from some are, comic book movie. Yeah. We are called as Christians to take a stand for what is right biblically. And, of course, there can be some times it's hard to toe the line and figure out how deeply do I go into this. But I think that it is very clear that, you know, we need, we are citizens. We are firstly citizens of heaven, but we are secondly citizens of America. Correct. We have a right to vote on issues same as every other citizen, Correct. regardless of their religious Correct. Status. We have a certain amount of influence, some right. more than others, more because some have more than just a vote. They have people they influence, right? Mm-hmm. Positions and things. But you're right, like, because today most of our political issues are compartmentalized, you know, it's about the green of America or this or LGBTQ and all that. It, it's not, it, it, it's like separate issues. So as Christians involved in society, involved in the world, we don't, it's not the Christian thing to go, okay, I will take my Christian hat off and now I will put on my good American secular hat on and go into these places. No, we bring our, our we, we, we live as Christ commands us to live wherever we go, whatever room we walk into, either that room be the Oval Office, the Pentagon, the FBI, or the mayor's office here, or a school, right? We are... to endure to the end. To the end. We're Christians. Three verses. That is our identity wherever we go. Is that is our... Parable of the Right. And I'm not saying, like, you you say that, right, you, you may... You may say different things in different rooms, right? Based off how much influence you have in that particular room, right? There's certain wisdom um, that is in order. Let me make a few more points and then um, we'll be done. We'll pray. Um, I, I mentioned already, but this will be a, very, a huge statement that will help guide us, is the local church is a political assembly. It is a political assembly. We herald Jesus as King and Lord. And we live our lives according to his word. So therefore, it is an institution. The church is an institution. There is a very much an anti-institutionalism in our culture today. That is not a good thing. That's not a good thing. And that has invaded the church, and I think it's been very damaging. The church is an institution, and we'll talk about how it, why it's an institution and why it's a political institution when we define what is, a, what is politics and what is an institution later on. And it publicly re- we publicly represent King Jesus. The church is an embassy, an embassy that represents a kingdom that's not of this world or age. There is a doctrine of the two. There is the government and the church. The government has been given the sword by God, Romans 13, and the church has been given the sword of the Spirit and the keys of his kingdom, right? So establishing it as an institution and the government, its institution, and the spheres by which it's supposed to operate. 
Are there any questions that you have? Hopefully that was a good introduction for you. And we'll get into some of these other uh, topics that I have uh, on our, our list. Are there any questions that I can answer? Yes. What you just said about um, moving away from being an institution with horrendous results. What Can you give an example? Um, uh, let me give you an example. Uh, when churches don't require membership. Because what membership is, is saying that to be a member of the church of God, a church of Christ, you have to follow the word of God. You have to follow Christ's commands, right? And when you do not follow Christ's commands, like if you commit adultery and you're a member of a church, you have to do what? To repent. What happens if you don't repent? Matthew 16. Yeah, you're excommunicated. That is the keys of the, key, of the institution of the church. You may say, well, that's judgmental. Why should the church do that? Because that's the commands of our king. <laughs> and we are citizens of his kingdom. And this is how we are called to govern that thing. That's, I think, one of the damaging examples. Because then there's no right and wrong. There is no right and wrong, yes. It's you have anarchy. If you've been to a church, you're like, this church seems like it has no order, no organization. It sounds, looks like anarchy. That's anti-institutionalism run amok in church. Yeah, very much. That's a perfect, yes, yes, sir. Uh, some of the older members of Central Church would remember that that actually happened in this church. Okay, so you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Or not. You're not compelled by me or John Andrew to say those said stories. Are there any other questions? Well, I will pray for us and then. We want to thank you for listening to this lecture on church and politics, the introduction lesson. If you are new to Central Church, you can check us out at centralchurch.com and learn more about our ministries and our classes. And we hope to see you back.